When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's going on, guys? Welcome to this latest episode of River City 93, brought to you by Roughnecks, Arts, Icarus, FC, and of course, for the culture. This is your host, as always, Elliot Barr, and is joining me are two men that could probably be in the team of the week for Richmond as we kept the clean street. It's Matt Janeer. How are you doing, guys? Not too bad. I mean, kept the clean sheet. So did the other team, but we're creating chances, so I'm happy. That's the point of a draw, Janeer. Yeah, I do not belong <laughs> in the team of the week. <laughs> you could be in there for tactical organization, coaching tactical the organization, logistical no. management. <laughs> there you go. We're out here giving out fake degrees and stuff. Well, good. I'll get in there when I earn it. <laughs> so, first of all, let's go on and congratulate uh, Akira Fitzgerald and uh Jalen Kreiser for getting it team of the week. Give it up to him. Um we did talk about it pre-show about how we kind of think Akira is giving these awards to himself <laughs> as part of management. <laughs> so eh. <laughs> what is this like his third one? So uh, it's at least it's at least two. I can't remember off the top of my head if he got one or if they even gave it out the you know the first week uh when we had the clean sheet against uh, New England or not, but uh, certainly the last two last two yeah. games yeah, he's uh, gotten that award. Uh, but no, I mean he's clearly not you know, giving himself Team of the Week. He's giving you know he's giving himself Man of the Match because yeah, he can actually you know you know, lean on you know the comm staff as you know fellow management to be able to be like, hey, get that clean sheet, you know, look me up. And look, we got a new person in, uh, you know, the communications office now as Mr. Patrick Wood has retired. I don't know if you can call it retired, but probably retired um, off to do better things to save a little bit of gas as he doesn't have to drive all over from Fredericksburg every day. But, uh, you know, he probably is pushing on uh, Nate and being like, hey, look, you want to keep your job, make me man of the match every week. Regardless of that, <laughs> make me man of the match. <laughs> I mean, you can't yeah, prove it didn't big, happen. <laughs> yeah, big yeah. shout out to Patrick Wood. Um, they they gave him a good send off. Red Army gave him a good send off. Uh, I must say. So yeah, I ain't gonna lie. I low key thought Patrick was crying, and then I realized like, oh no, he just covered his face. Look at all these guys. <laughs> yeah, and for for anyone who's uh, you know not uh, up on your front office, you know Richmond Kickers news. Patrick was with the Patrick was with the team for like twelve years. Uh, it was basically the uh, you know, main comms guy as the director of communications the last few years as the team expanded out. Uh, and he you know, announced this last week that it was just going to be his last week with the team. Uh, you know, he's, uh, you know, been with them, you know, you know, for a long, long time, kind of, you know, really ever present. And, 
moving on to the next step of life. I, mean, I can't blame them. 12 years is a long run for anyone at any job, uh, but it doesn't mean uh, we're, we're not going to miss him, not going to miss uh, being able to needle him from time to time, but also he's uh, been a you know, great supporter you know, of the team of you know, th- uh, this podcast along the way. So uh, Patrick, we're looking forward to that tell-all memoir of uh, life you know, as a minor league soccer uh, communications guy. Look forward you know, to that coming up. Uh, you got a lot of free time now in a couple weeks, right? Right. Look, it's literally going to be the end. That, that's, that's Patrick's book. <laughs> literally not going to say anything. Oh, I bet he's got stories if he wants to tell them. Oh, he probably does. <laughs> oh, man. And, you know, he was like the club historian, quote, unquote. So Patrick probably got stories. Oh, man. Gonna miss not having Patrick. Now. But let's go ahead and hop into this game. As for those who know, we played North Carolina FC. The league was kind of hyping it up as a derby. Let me ask you guys. you guys feel like it's a derby or you think it's no, just like no. one of those things that has to grow? Uh, it's not a derby, and it if it, it would take a game where a lot of drama happens for it to become a derby, and that wasn't this Saturday. So I, I don't. Hey, I think y'all use that word way too often as it is anyway. Like you know, you know, Ellie, I feel like you want to make like you know every random uh, you know game some kind of a rivalry game against you know, somebody else. We're trying branding. Go for it. Uh, if you're looking yeah. at like the the old school, like strict, like, you know, British, you know, interpretation of it. I mean, in American sense, you know, two and a half hours is a close rival, you know, so on that level, yeah, I'm on board for it because, you know, any game that, you know, where fans can actually be able to reasonably go to, you know, to and come home that same day, I'm on board for. I mean, we've been, you know, complaining about that for how long? You know, at least two years. (laughs) Yeah, so, uh, I'm all for you know the league trying to you know manufacture this. Sometimes the stuff they manufacture hits. Uh, is the animosity there? Maybe not yet. I mean, I remember you know a number of Open Cup games over the years. Uh, we were in the same league with them our uh, last fateful year in uh, you know uh, USL you know championship before you know League One started. So it's not like it's starting totally fresh, uh, but I think there's a lot of room for growth to actually you know, become the uh, you know quote quote-unquote real rivalry yeah i'm kind of in between y'all too like i don't feel like it's a i don't feel like it's a rivalry game or a derby i just feel like it's a team a game between teams that are close to each other and but i also feel as if there is something there but like you said Shanae, like it has to be organic it can't be this forced thing you know that yeah like forces. like for example you look in in mls like I think here in American soccer, because the country is so big and teams are so far from each other, we cannot define our derbies the same way the English do. Because the English, their derbies are based on location. For example, you have the Manchester Derby, the Merseyside Derby, North London Derby. It's because those two teams share a same territory. I think here, derbies, or as we call them, rivalry weeks, are situations in which something happened in the past there's a history between these two teams like for example there was a long period of time where chicago fire and new england revolution had this rivalry there was always yellow cards flying whenever they played that there, there was always drama there was always a major you know 
almost fights and and hard tackles and 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 you know things of that nature and goals against those opposing teams meant more you have those situations but that's something that needs to grow you can't the first season we're in the same league you say all right this is a derby no i mean there needs to be some history there needs to be there needs to be some precedent of some drama that some unfinished business basically because that's what that's where rivalry stems from it stems from unfinished business so there needs to be some unfinished business before you can start talking about rivalry or derby yeah i mean there's something i'm not i don't care enough about this topic to be totally honest to really you know get into it but i will say that uh you know, Elliot's, uh, you know, absolute, you know, masterpiece of branding with the Henny Derby. Oh yeah. Came, came game one of <laughs> season one against them. So. so that that would be <laughs> some off the, uh, some off pitch history, like some off pitch event that created that, yeah. you know? <laughs> yeah. But Social media thing, has a place in this. <laughs> but anyway, I, I will say, you know, if you watched his last uh, 10 minutes of that game, you know, on Saturday, you could see some Steve's being planted of, you know, a little bit of a heated rivalry because, you know, you saw how many North Carolina players, uh, you know, suddenly had, you know, you know, amputation requiring injuries, you know, right then, uh, you know, you know, sometimes, you know, two of them, you know, at once and then, oh, look, they're okay. They're fine all of a sudden. Everyone's falling all over the place trying to make sure. But that, that lets you know one thing though, that, and the, the, you can see the Richmond kickers were not doing that. North Carolina were playing for the draw. If they're doing stuff like that to waste time and it's nil-nil, they were playing for the draw. They realized we're not going to score here, so we're going to play for the draw. We're going to make sure they can't score. We're going to kill the clock. And that's all they were doing. They were just, oh, all, oh, all of a sudden I have my hamstrings tight. I need to stretch it. <laughs> so, so actually, Jim, that's a good point you uh, you brought up. So let's go ahead and start there. So while we were watching the game, we're all like on the edge of a seat, you know, watching a game live, you're in a different atmosphere of watching. You're in a different event. When you go back and watch this game, and I was telling back beforehand, I actually feel like this is probably Richmond, Richmond's best performance of the year so far. Um, yeah. One being said, just because my biggest issue so far out of the first five games we played was the midfield. I feel like the midfield was okay. I feel well, not okay. I feel like it was better than what it was in the other. I don't feel like we. I feel like we put out the fires that were there. Now, before I say this, uh, JT from North Carolina, number nineteen, homeboy is good. <laughs> homeboy is good. He created uh, nine chances by himself. The next closest, next closest person on North Carolina created one. Homeboy's good. And it wasn't aware to me that he was on loan from Louisville City. And you know how Louisville City is with our players. But I felt like the midfield was good. I'm still trying to figure out what exactly Victor is doing. Because um, I know what Neil is doing and I know what Zaka is doing. I'm just trying to figure out what that other midfielder is actually in there to do. But outside of that, I felt like the midfield played a lot better game. The back four, unless barring injury, that back four should be able to stay out there all year long. There's no reason to change it. But what do you guys think? Um, I think yeah, you're 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 looking at uh JT as he, he's basically their version of the sweet feet because he was he was out there 
he was putting some pressure on the defense throughout pretty much the whole first half and a, a good portion of the, a decent portion of the second half. Um, I think after leg started to get heavy, he started to get a little more quiet in the second half as we started to push up the field more. But um, you're right. I, I do feel that there was a little bit of ambiguity in the midfield. Um, Victor Falk, I wasn't exactly sure what his role was. Not to say that he didn't play well, but I think we would need to see a little bit more of this trio in the middle for me to really understand what Victor's role is. Um, but apart from that, I mean, the back line, like you said, solid. They just need to stick with that back four, barring injury or fatigue. That, that four needs to stay and not be tweaked unless it absolutely has to. And um, I mean, and we created chances, and the flanks were very well taken care of and very well handled. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think Victor played well. Uh, I I don't have a, you know like an issue with you know, anything that he's you know doing. I'm not. I don't think we need to you know, worry about like you know what you know is he, he he's a midfielder. You know, so you know instead of you know maybe trying to look at it as okay, he's a you know, a destroyer. He's you know a uh, regista. He's a you know a you know attacking midfielder. I think he's his role is midfielder. You know, do what needs to be done in the middle. You know, of the field. If that's you know you spraying passes, spray some passes. If that's you know getting you know stuck in and putting a body on someone and you know being an enforcer. That's being an enforcer. So I think he's you know kind of the jack of all trades. You know, guy in the middle there. If we need to be able to bunker in. He slides right in next to Zaka, and you say, "All right, come at us." You know, you need to be able to, you know, try to you know, play those big, long diagonal balls to you know Bolanos or Oleg or Boldick or whoever. You can hit those. You know, so I, I, that's how I would probably you know look at it. Is you know he's you know the uh, Swedish Army knife in the middle. Yeah, probably so. Um... So it looked like the starter formation was that of the four D three that we've always seen, but it felt like the, the midfielders were more pushed up versus than what we saw before. They weren't really hugging onto the touchline as much. Um, I did remember seeing going back and watching through the game. There's a lot of times where when we're in attack, Bolognos would tuck in besides Terzaghi, and Monty would kind of push up to kind of be like an extra midfielder. It kind of almost covered that space for Neil, because um, I think Matt, you probably were pointing about like how Neil kind of like drift inside to be more of an attacking mid almost. So like in defense, he kind of drops into be a center mid. He's not doing a whole bunch of defensive work, like we said, he's not the fastest. But when we're in attack, he'll kind of operate that center space to be that connected piece to to Zoggy. and then Bologna's will kind of drift in a little bit further in or tuck inside. I mean, Monty would kind of do that overlap run, which we saw a lot of Ian Anton last year. And I'm starting to wonder is like, is Monty's role, because I feel like Monty's really is kind of like the key piece in this team, almost attacking wise. Because if he's able to get outside, able to cross that ball in, it's like two, three guys are able to be kind of in that box, kind of, you know, for the cutback pass. Where on the other side, Calvo is kind of almost being like a right center back slash right fullback in terms of whether or not we're playing offense or defense. Did you guys see the same thing or I've been looking at it? It's totally weird. 
No, I don't think you're off base at all. I, I think the uh, you know the attack is a lot more fluid when the full you know the fullbacks are able to really you know, press high and provide service you know, from the wing. Uh, I think we saw that last year, whether whether it was you know, Antley or Scotty Thompson on the left side, you know, were a lot more effective. You know, when they were able to really get involved in the attack, it doesn't mean they have to get all the way down to the end line every time. But you know, if they're able to you know, provide support for whichever winger is out there, be able to provide another outlet for one of the midfielders to be able to uh, you know, get the ball to, because it'll help. What those runs can help to do is help to. Uh, unbalance the defense because I think otherwise it gets really easy to defend you know where our attackers are whether it's you know Emmy or Hernan or whoever in the middle it makes it a lot easier to be able to collapse on them it makes it easy to be able to take out you know Emmy or you know, Neil whoever's in the you know, center because there aren't as many options out wide you know then so yeah I, I would agree I think you know I don't, I don't know if I go so far as to say it's the absolute key I still think you know getting Emmy involved is the absolute you know, key and you know ultimate decider is our attack effective game to game but it's a really important piece of it that makes that emmy piece you know a lot easier yeah I, I, and the reason why i think monty is probably the key is because like you said like emmy emmy is the crown jewel is in this in this whole thing. but i think when monty's able for prime example i think it was for one of the chances he had a nice cross but Emmy was just pretty much able just to kind of like freelance and just run around and just, you know, able to try to go. But he's freed up because Monty made that run, belonging was ripped in. And now the defense is kind of in scramble mode, running back of like, who picking up? Who's picking up who? And then another player who I'll probably say he had his best game of the year is Matt Boulder. Like, the shot, the shot he had in section OEO, I thought it went in. Like, you need to be more they, specific. Oh, yeah. Which the one? one? That off the post? Yes, the one that hit off the post. Like it, which it, one? Oh, <laughs> the first one. The first one. In the, the first, first half, one. Like he, when he off of that, like into deemed the, it. Oh my goodness! Yeah, that was. I know. Hey, watching it again yeah, on could, like. Oh, you good, Senior? Gonna go? No, I was gonna say that you could see that all of those. Missed chances were really getting to Matt. Um, he later in the game, when you saw in the second half, he really started to get frustrated every time we missed a chance, and it, it really felt like we couldn't buy a goal if we wanted to. Like it was just not in the cards. But he was a complete menace on that right side. He was a menace. The other team did not know what to do with him. Yeah, I mean, he was getting a lot more space. I, I think, you know, the, you know, him looking frustrated, I think that's just him. Uh, you know, he's, you know, probably absolutely the number one player on the team who wears his emotions on his sleeve on the field. Uh, you know, so I, at this point, after seeing him for, you know, four or five years, that doesn't phase me at all, you know, to see that from him. You know, I'd be more surprised if I saw him just, you know, stoic and without emotion in some way. But those shots in the you know, first half, and I'm sure we'll talk about the other one, you know, here, you know, coming up in a little bit, because that was, crazy as well what it shows me is yeah you know, i think his confidence is you know coming you know back up a little bit more because he's looking to you know take those shots i think one of the problems you know the attack has had you know in recent weeks is you know maybe being a little more reluctant to shoot early and looking for that perfect opportunity looking for that perfect second third pass instead of just letting rip sometimes 
Yeah, and I think a lot of that comes with, you know, getting comfortable. Like, this is game five. So now, like, the legs are underneath you. You're no longer in that preseason mode. We've also had two weeks for really any keeps to come out. Granted, have things been a lot better if we scored a goal? Yes. But in a perfect in the rally that we're living in, coming out of a draw where I would say we created a lot of chances, it, the offense didn't look as standing as it did in that like Greenville game, for instance. And we didn't have the defensive errors as we did in the Fort Lauderdale game. I gotta say I'm kind of positive about it. Now, there were like a couple of moments where you're kind of like biting your fist. It's like, hey, guys, I need y'all to get it together. And one of those came right at the end of the half with Chrysler. Now, granted, he should have put more power behind this to get it to Akira. He kind of just taps it and not realizing that the, um, the striker's name is eluding me right now. But the striker was just running onto it. And if it's not for Akira having the, like, presence of mind to just – I think he did – I don't think he got a hand I think he just really just, like, shoulder-checked it out of balance. But it's like like that moment was kind of nerve wracking, and then like JT, he kind of he crossed on Monticelli. He Monticelli got to eat that. He he got crossed up. Um, but like in stadium, we thought like I thought that ball was a lot closer. Like we're going in, like tipping over the line. Watching the replay, it was nowhere near. Like I think Monty, Monty was there, Calvo and Chrysler were all Chrysler. We're all there, kind of like to cut out the chance of anything dangerous happening. But the like once again, the back four, I have a lot of confidence in of like cleaning up those areas. I saw a little cross, Christ are like not putting enough power behind the ball. The back four probably they they play almost a near perfect game. Yeah, I mean, I think at this point you, you can count on all right the way we're you know, set up, they're going to give you that you know look from like twenty five yards out or so, and okay if you can you know, beat a cure from there. Good for you, but you're probably not going to get you know much more here than that. You might get one better look than that a game, so you better you'd be able to finish it, and can't ask for much more. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you can keep teams to try and pop shots from twenty five thirty yards out from most of the game, you're you're good. I mean, you're deep. And and like like you said, if you make it, kudos to you. But I do not see a lot of players in League One, you know, hitting screamers like that on a regular basis. You know, right? It, you, you yeah, you'll you'll there, yeah, you, you but, might lose one or two games a year that way, you know. But you're going to win a lot more from keeping yeah from keeping them far away from your goal exactly. Yeah, um, <clears throat> I think the other thing about this game that really kind of caught my attention was, <sighs> okay, so I'm going to ask you guys. So for Bologna, do you kind of feel like he, not like a free roll, but do you guys feel like he was kind of playing like a striker position in this game just because of how close he was tucked inside and like how many times it was almost like ping the ball long to him? to Bolaños, let him get him behind the defense. Because he had a chance, I think, right before halftime where I, it, I don't see how that ball did not go over the line. Like He had two where one, I don't know if he hits it out or the defender, but it just rolls out of bounds. And then he had another one where I think if he just chips it, like maybe like a half an inch higher is in the back of the net. 
which still blows my mind that neither one of those chances went in the net. <laughs> um, I think Bolanos, it was more like he was playing. He was still, he was playing kind of a narrow left winger. Um, because you could see that when we were on the attack, you still had Matt Bulldog covering that right winger space every time we were pushing up in the attack, and Bolaños on the left, and you'd have Tozagi in the middle. Now, Bolaños would tuck in a little more, but he was still occupying that left side, and a lot of those long balls that were going to him were kind of on the inside of the channel, basically running on the inside and on the on the left side. So, I mean, I don't know. I think, and I think it works because he's kind of in that limbo space where it's hard to figure out exactly who's going to mark him, whether it's going to be fullback, whether it's going to be the, the, the right-sided center back. And, and sometimes maybe the midfielder would have to drop back to, to cover the difference between the two, which would leave more space in the midfield when he does receive the ball. But I think, Think I think it really does work with him being kind of in that space, that ambiguous space of I don't know if he's a winger or a striker, because then the other team doesn't know if he's a winger or a striker, and it makes it hard for them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes a lot of sense. So <clears throat> when it comes to like, so Emmy is one person though I think in that I was kind of losing track of because I just you know I'm used to seeing a striker up top being in front of the line. But I feel like Emmy now is kind of doing, I'll call it like the Terry on re-roll just to give it like a role definition where he's not really a striker. He's kind of like, and he's not an attacking mid. He kind of just free roams, kind of does what he wants. So if he doesn't feel like he's getting the ball enough up top, he'll drop back into the midfield spot to kind of pick up the ball and then spray it out. And that's all fine and dandy, but I feel like in this game, like you needed like a striker like Hernan. And I know I've like I was telling y'all at the game, like I've talked all this trash about Hernan, and then all of a sudden, like this game, we really need him really bad. And I'm like, well, dang, now I gotta eat crow. Um, but I feel like this was would have been a perfect game for Hernan because the, so everything that Rich was doing was kind of the same thing that North Carolina FC was doing. It, a lot of fans were talking about it, like, why are we pressing more? Why aren't we, you know, stepping up, causing confrontation? But I think, out of everything, I think this is Darren Sawaski's team. Like, this is how a Darren Sawaski team is. You're not going to see the super-duper high press. They'll press in certain moments or certain situations where they feel like, hey, we can win the ball. But outside of that, is normally it's going to be a mid-block, you know, kind of everyone's tucked inside and it's like you're either going to have to go around us to beat us like we said like those pop shots but we're going to have everything inside kind of locked down and you're going to have to either go around us or get in behind us and i don't see that happening with this Richmond team and if for north carolina on the other hand it felt like a lot of what they were doing was just all right like you said Janera, they just wanted to play that counter-attacking game if a chance arises out of individual brilliance, then great, we'll take it. If not, you know, we're fine sitting in this, like, low. Not, I want to say, like, parking a bus, but more of this low block, you know, we'll kind of just shift side to side and try to cut out fires when need be. However, 
in saying that, I do feel as if, like, like we all saw it. JT, number 19, he was an issue. And I feel like Zawasi kind of made a change where he was just like, all right, Zaka, I need you to man mark this guy, get him tired, and, like, don't worry about, you know, doing the offensive part. Like, defensively, I need you to just stay on him. Wherever he goes, you go. And he, later in the game, it was like JT will start up in the middle, then he'll kind of go right and then go left. But then after a while, he just kind of stayed on the left side. He was trying to get space, and he was just like, all right, I can't. I can't find space like I normally Yeah, I, I think in the second half, by then, and, you know, Darren kind of got it figured out by, by putting on him, and he basically tired his legs out. Like, he, he got to the point where he was like, I, I'm not going to run around anymore. Do that or else I'm out for the season. You know, um, I do feel that at one thing that I, I did say in the stadium and when re- re-watching the game, I felt again was North Carolina's back line was very playable. Like, they were not the best back line we've, we've come up against. They, I could see uh, Matt getting in behind very easily, Bolaños getting in behind very easily, Emmy getting in behind very easily. When uh, Hernan did come on, you could see him dominating them in the air fairly easily on the few chances that that the ball did come into into the box in the air or outside of the box in the air. Um, it, it that their back line was very very fragile, and I do feel that that this is you know a lot of people would say like with this kind of borderline between a point gain and two points is points lost. I Think that leans us more towards two points lost because of the fact that that back line could have been cooked. We could have cooked them so bad. Um, and going back to what you were saying about Hernan, that is why this is this was the perfect game for him. Now Hernan is not good for every game. That's certain games we need that pace. We need that 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 mobility up front. But in this game, the mobility wasn't all that necessary. Because we had the wingers that could that could circles around the guys anyway. We needed a strong presence in the box with Terzaghi behind to create some more chaos. And uh, I think that's when we saw a little bit more. We really saw how North Carolina would literally drop onto their heels later on in the second half when when Hernan did come on. Then of course Olex is also creating a lot of a lot of problems for them. Yeah. So. so- a lot of things to kind of go back. So, so Ellie, you mentioned that you saw Emmy playing like a you know on a read type role. I I might look at it you know more as you know one of his uh you know, countrymen. And I'm not saying he's anywhere near the same level. Yeah, but the way that Say Emmy's it. playing center, Say I am. It. I'm going to. Uh, you know, the way he's playing center forward, you know, looks to me a lot more like how you know Leo Messi would play you know center forward. Because I was you know, Henri was more of a you know kind of almost uh you know left winger you know forward you know hybrid. You know, kind of guy, uh, and Messi, we'll see that he'll, he'll drop back in. He'll, you know, go get the ball if he needs, you know, to get the ball. He's not, you know, he can play in the air if he really needs to, but that's not his thing. Sounds a lot like Emiliano Tirzaghi, you know, to me. I mean, you know, unfortunately, he does not have that same left foot. Uh, you know, that, I mean, if he did, he wouldn't be here. Let's be real. Uh, you know, so, uh, but I, I look at at least, you know, the very, very core of the stylistic 
you know, comparison. I see, you know, their style of playing center forward, you know, more combat, you know, more compatible, you know, in that way. Uh, so I, I don't know if I'm the only one that's seen it like that, uh, but that's kind of what would come to my mind a little bit when you were giving down a recomparison. No, you're not. I can, I can see that as well. That's probably is the better comparison about I mean, because like there's a lot of time, like I said, like there's a lot of times in the game where I'm looking and I'm like, all right, where is Ibby? Like, where is he at? And then usually he's the one picking up the ball. Now he's not dropping in between the center backs or anything like that. Like he'll try to drift off into the wing or whatnot, kind of in the Neil spot. Um, and Neil's another player that I want to talk about, but I'm going to this point. Um, but Emmy will kind of do that. He'll kind of drop back into the midfield, pick up the ball, and kind of start to play or kind of create space or overloads on the right side or the left side of, you know, opening up for Matt or Bologna. Yeah. And um, I mean, it also goes back to, you know, that same debate we had for the, the first four episodes of the season of where do you play Emmy? Is he, you know, you play him up front, do you play him in the 10? You know, you look at, you know, some of those, you know, debates you know, that, you know, were around Messi for forever. Where's, where do you, you know, best plan because you can dribble the whole team so obviously you have that idea that you want to play him further back but you also want him as close to goal because he scores like every shot he takes feels like so you know there's some parallels there and uh i just wish he was you know even like 30 percent of what Messi was because uh that'd be amazing I mean, to be honest with you, 30% of what Messi's got, and he would not be playing for the Richmond Kickers either. But um, Yeah, I, I, but I was yeah, trying to I mean, figure out what, what percentage I could get away with without being too over the top. It's still <laughs> way too good for us. Yeah, maybe 10. With, without it also being really ins- potentially insulting if by any chance you actually listening to this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, at the end of the day, like you said, like Messi – Emmy is a floater. He he's that player you put in. He at kick off. He's the nine. But once the game's going, you tell you go wherever you feel you need to go because he's he's got the IQ. He's got the skills. He's got the smarts in order to be in the right place and to create from almost anywhere on the field or anywhere in the in the final third. Um, I I, I do. F- feel that it, it, it takes a special team and it takes a special tactic to be able to function regularly with a floater. And I think uh, Darren is still trying to, to figure that out with regards, with regards to, okay, we're going to have you as the floater. What does that mean for everyone else around you? And I think that's where we're starting to see a form of that. We're starting to see what that yeah, like me and Ella, we, you know, you and I were talking about that before uh, we started you know, recording. You know, I was trying to figure out, okay, so we got Emmy, we got you know Neil, who you know seems to be you know establishing himself in the team. We also have Hernan, you know, as a center forward option. And I was trying to figure out how do you get all three of those you know, guys on the field together at the same time? Because I don't have a really good answer you know, for that yet. Um. So I think that. Uh, I'll say it again. I think the best way how you do it is you leave Neil in his natural position. Because Neil's not going to give you – he's not going to come back on defense like that. We've seen that. He's not the quickest, not the fastest, not the strongest. But his dribbling in the midfield is really, really key. I think you can get away, especially in League One, of putting Emmy out on the wing. Maybe left to right doesn't matter. I think you could just flip him and Bologna's a hemorrhoid. 
I think it really doesn't matter. I think you can put her now on top. I think that will probably be your best version of how to get all three on the field at once. Because Emmy will he necessarily he won't really play the wings, but he'll kind of play the Matt Bulldog role. Um I mean you probably have to drive Matt Bulldog, but I think you can put Emmy there and then Emmy will do the work of getting up top, having those crosses in, but also coming inside and cutting inside and opening up space for the fullback to kind of go in behind. So in an ideal world, I would probably more or less put him on I would put him on the left wing. Because he's right I believe Emmy's right footed, right? I, mean, I think most of them are yeah. So I'll put him on the right. I mean put him on the left side. That way he can cut inside and shoot off his right. Or he could go to this um to the uh goal line and kind of cut it back in for a cross. But then also that allows Monty to kind of come in behind him and do this and, you know, crossing it as well. Yeah. I mean um, now that I think about it, probably like probably the you know the real answer would be you have to go like old school four four two style, then that completely messes everything else up that we have going on with our wingers in midfield and everything else. So Yeah, yeah exactly. Uh but it's, that's why we're really making the big bucks. Yeah, for, yeah, yeah. That's it, why Darren makes really the real decisions. It's really tough because I, I I still feel that Emmy can literally play between a second striker and an attacking midfielder. Like that's his that's his niche. Uh and if you're if you if you have Hernan on the field, you you have the idea of it's you can simply work big man fast man with with Hernan and Emmy. But then, like you said, Matt, if you're playing a four four two, where does that leave Neil? Where does that leave our wingers? Where does that leave everyone else? It makes it a lot harder unless you're playing with two up front and three in the back, and then you've got another issue to deal with. Um, if you're playing with three in the back, you got five in the midfield, two wing backs, and maybe three midfielders. Then you can kind of fit um, Neil and and Zaka and 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 Falk in there. But then your wing backs, we're not sure exactly how that would work. It's it's just makes it very difficult. Where does that put Bolaños? Where does that put Matt Bulldog? Matt Bulldog can play wing back, but then when you bring Olex onto the field, where does that put him? It's Trying to fit Terzaghi in a specific position leaves so many more questions, which is why I think Darren is like, just go out there and float, and we'll just place everyone else around you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, more than likely. I think another player that I could definitely see that he's getting, like we said, my vote is getting something. Another player I think is getting his confidence as well is Neil Vignos. Um. Not necessarily this game because he didn't really have a shot of goal, but I felt as if he's probably one of the more effective players and quietly one of the more effective players offensively. Um, I think when I was looking at the stats, I think he had five chances graded, which led the team for the game, but he also had three duels one now. Granted, he lost five, but that's also the kind of player he is. He's very dribbly. Um, he's, he's a very, like, attacking-minded player. I feel like if Neil could get I wouldn't say calm because I don't think he's like calm, but I think if Neil can string together a couple of performances where he's one of the best players on the field, I think that goes a long way as well of kind of opening up the floodgates even more. Because we saw it, like he, I think he almost had one, I think he had one chance, or he left it off to Zavi, where he dribbled damn near through three, four players and almost laid off a chance 
that no one it came to create out of nowhere. So I feel like we could get Neil kind of in those opportunities, in those parts more. I feel like it's going to raise the profile of the team going forward. It is kind of one of those things where you have all of the attention. Because now I feel like belongings are starting to get that attention as well of where they're telling one player, like, hey, we focus on him. The same way they're doing with Chizagi. And it's kind of leaving Neil opening these little pockets where he'll just pop up and lay a pass off here and then he'll make a move, something like that. So it's almost becoming one of the things that Neil could get going. Now it's kind of like you got three fires to put out and which fire do you put out first? Or which one don't you put out and you you know, pick your poison in a sort of scenario. Who are you who are you gonna say, All right, you gotta be the one to try to beat me today? Uh but yeah, I think Vinyal's I think the way I would you know, kind of put it is, is you know, the ball sticks to him and in the good way, not in the black hole you know, kind of way, you know, where the ball sticks to you because you're never passing it. Uh, but you know, you see the you know, ball come into him and he's really good on you know, getting the ball and being able to immediately turn you know, with it and be able to you know, create that little bit of space for himself because, yeah, like he's mentioned before, not a burner. You know, he's not going to be a JT Kamara and you know, take the ball and you know, dribble you know, eight guys because he can just dribble past them. You know, Neil has to more you know, dribble through a few guys if he's going to you know, beat them. And he's capable of that. We've seen that over the last few games. I thought Saturday was his best performance of the season you know, so far. I felt it was a lot more uh, you know, positive uh, you know, in terms of being able to progress the ball. Uh, so I think it's going to you know, come as you know, probably learning, you know, continue to learn a little bit more of the timing with uh, you know, the you know, forward line. He was out for a little bit of the you know, preseason. So I think he's you know, finally – fully catching up and, you know, ready to go. Yeah, for real, for real. And one more player we definitely got a shot at is Alex Anderson. And I'm going to ask you guys again. I feel like I ask you guys this question every week. Are you guys finally ready to commit to Olex is the super sub of the team? Like, every time he comes on, there is a performance. This guy pulls out of nowhere. I think he can uh, be. I mean, I, I think want to see a week where we have Terzaghi up top, Bolanos, and Olex on the wing, and then I want to judge it because if I think if you have those three up front, it is very difficult for any team to handle that much pace, power, talent, and just grit. Olex is a nuisance when he has a ball. Like if at his feet, I feel bad for fullbacks when he's coming at them. Bolanos has pace, and now he's starting to get much better control with the ball at that pace. Terzaghi is Terzaghi; he's MVP. It speaks for itself. So if you have those three up front, I think Olex can perform better in conjunction with those other two. And I do feel that that's one thing we have not seen. We have not seen those three up front. Every time one of them comes on, one of the other two is coming off. And, and because of that, we're not seeing what that potential could be. Because I think maybe if you have those three up front, you have uh, Vignal, Falk, and uh, Zaka in the midfield behind them. We probably got something on our hands there. I want to see what that looks like before I put him in the role of super. Because, yes, he can play the role of super sub fan. Fantastically, but can he give us 90 minutes of greatness with those other two on the field? 
yeah, I think I'm in kind of the same boat there. I uh, what Oleg started the Fort Lauderdale game. He wasn't the problem that game. You know, he was you know creating you know some chances you know all the way up until you know late in the game when his you know shin guard exploded or whatever that was. You know, in that you know moment, yeah. But you know, he was pretty dangerous throughout the whole game. So I think we've been able to see, and even at the end of last year, we can see that he can impact a game from the beginning. He doesn't need to come on at 70 minutes, you know, to be able to impact a game just against, uh, you know, supposedly tired you know, players. You know, so I think it's a matter of, you know, looking at matchups, looking at, you know, okay, what are we, you know, what does Darren want to accomplish you know, with the team, you know, this game, what are the, you know, you know little tactical, you know, works? I mean, be real, who's going to pick up some injuries? It's going to be a long season. There's going to be some guys that'll pick up a little nagging injury, you know, miss a game or two. There'll be yellow card suspensions down the line. You pick up, uh, you know, so we're going to need that little bit of you know, rotation in there. Uh, so, like I said before, like Shanir said, I think, yes, he can play that role, but you know, I think it's going to be you know, even more meaningful if, uh, you know, he can also start, you know, not all the games, but, you know, somewhat regularly and be able to impact the team that way too. Yeah, for real, for real. And I mean, at time of recording right now, um, I haven't seen anything about whether he got called into the same victim in Granny Knee's uh, CONCACAF Nations League squad or anything like that. So if we see anything like that, fans will definitely keep you up to date on whether or not he get called up. I think if he does get called up, he'll miss the Revs 2 and the Fort Lauderdale game, right? I mean, not Fort Lauderdale, Fort Madison game, correct? If he gets called up. I'm looking it up right now. Yeah, I think those are the first two games. Those are the two first games in June, and that's when that's around that time. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, he'll definitely miss on those games. We'll back for the Union Omaha game. Um. Yeah, they play on the fourth, and they play on the eighth. Yeah, and, so, and let's so be real, we've already established yeah. Yeah, we've already stopped. They're not advancing. So those would be the last ones. Okay. All right, man. Well, yeah. So if he does get called up, which I'm imagining he does, I, I think he'll miss on those two games and we'll see. Um, so Shanir, I know that you usually hate it when a goalkeeper gets man of the match or whatever, but I will have to say, um, if I have to give out a grade <laughs> So far for this team, I'm giving the defense uh, a definitely a, like an A, not an A plus, but uh, I'll give him an A. Karen, he did have four saves, but out of those four saves, one of those he really had to pull out of like his, like, yeah, he had to pull out of somewhere. Um, the one in the half, the other one it was straight to him, but he punched it away. It wasn't really nothing too dangerous. Unlike North Carolina's goalkeeper, he had two diving saves and like. Those two diving saves were saves where if he's maybe like a half an inch shorter, it's in the back of the net. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I think uh, McGuire probably had a better stage. I, I think Akira had a bigger number total. And again, let's be real, we already established you know, the league doesn't look that closely at you know, you know all the games. They look at the stats. You know, more than anything else, if you score a goal, you're going to be on team of the week. You know, most times you got a clean sheet. You know, as a defender or a keeper, you're probably a lot more likely to get on there. And I think Akira had credit with four saves versus McGuire's two. But I think McGuire's two were far more challenging than Akira's four. 
Oh, yeah, yeah, most definitely, most definitely. I mean, he was scrambling for at least to get two of them. I think what was the Olex header, uh, the second half was one, and, of course, like, uh, the Matt Bulldog one, where, honestly, it wasn't until I went back and rewatched the game. I know I've been saying there's a lot, but when you go back and rewatch games, you pick up on a lot of stuff that you missed in-game. The one where Matt had it at the top of the box, he shot it. I thought it was just a weak shot. But... When I rewatched it, I, I realized like it took a deflection and it threw the goalkeeper all along. Like he was, he was diving yeah, to his left and then he just recovered out of nowhere. Like I don't know what kind of balance this man has, but he was able to shift from all his weight going down in one direction to like a split second of going right and getting a fingertip on it. The ball pops up and he's able to grab it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I I, I do think. <clears throat> So to be honest with you, in this game, I don't agree with um, with uh, Kira getting man of the match. To be honest with you, even though it's clean sheet, even though there were some great saves, I don't think either goalkeeper gets man of the match in this game because a lot of the missed chances were not safe. They were off target or hit the woodwork. And because that, that kind of, to be honest with you, in the, especially in the second half, Akira did not really have much to do because we were on the front foot so much. But even though we were on the front foot so much, Maguire didn't really have all that much to do. Yes, he had to be a lot more attentive than Akira, but he didn't have as much to do as you would expect from a goalie who's going to get man of the match or, in, in Akira's case, also getting man of the match. Opinion, it, it's very tough to find a man of the match in this gun, but I would probably have given it to Matt. Um, Matt was consistently a threat throughout the entire game. Uh, he missed a couple chances. Uh, there was that one where he takes that shot, it takes a deflection and almost wrong foots the goalkeeper. The one where he, he bangs it off the, off, the, um, off the post. He had a lot of crosses coming in from that right side in the second half. He made a nuisance of himself to the other team with and without the ball. So, in my opinion, I think Matt Bulldog should have gotten men of the match and, and not Akira. Not to take anything away from Akira. Akira was, I mean, with that, especially that save, that cross that came over and literally point blank, he takes that one off his chest to save it. Um, that was, he, he definitely had a great performance. I don't think enough happened on his end for him to get man of the match. Yeah. I mean, if we're looking at the big picture and not just, you know, the kickers awarded man of the match, obviously they're always going to give it to a kicker's player. They're not going to give it to a opposing. I mean, JT Kamara was really the best player on the field. You know, you know, throughout the game, we've talked about that, that probably ad nauseum way more than we should on a, you know, podcast for a team, you know, a team that, you know, that he doesn't play for. Uh, so all things being equal, that's probably who I would have given it to if I could give it to somebody on either team. Uh, for, for the kickers, uh, I'm fine with it. If you want to give it to Akira, uh, I would have been fine with it if you gave it to Jalen or, you know, Yvonne, you know, either, because they were just vacuuming up, you know, everything you know, that, you know, came in you know, to the middle. They were, uh, you know, the ones that were usually putting the final stop onto, you know, Kamara or, you know, uh, Chrysler was doing a really good job of, uh, you know, kind of you know, bodying up against, uh, I think his name was Simpson, uh, the big center forward, you know, for North Carolina. 
Uh, so, I mean, that, that guy has been a revelation for me so far this year. I mean, we signed you know, him in the off season. I was like, okay, he's a guy. Yeah. I didn't think, you know, you know too much of it, but I mean, he has been a stud in the back so far and you know, he completely deserves you know, getting that, starting to get that recognition, uh, you know, making team of the week, you know, getting that, uh, getting that shine because you know, he has taken that spot next to Yvonne and, you know, just stamped it on, you know, as his and, uh, you know, anybody wants to you know, try to get it, you know, come get it, but you're not going to. Yeah. Look, if there's one thing Richmond knows how to do really, really well, it's make center back pair uh, duos and a goalkeeper. Never have to worry about that with Richmond. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. Um, We've always had great, great center back pairings. Uh, for as yeah. long as I've been in Richmond, it's always been, you know, two – two defensive giants back there, you know, and that link up well, that know how to play with each other and, and just have a great chemistry. It's always been great. Um, there's one that, there's one I didn't care for, but we don't need to get into that. Yeah, no. Let's move that under the rug. Let's move that under the rug. <laughs> that was a fluke. Um, <laughs> um, so, yeah, so that pretty much wraps up that game. I think we did a good job of breaking out like, a lot of the questions that we were hearing on Saturday, kind of talking through the team. Um, so, of course, it's Memorial Weekend. I'm going to tell you right now, we're probably not going to record on Sunday or on Monday because we're probably going to be drunk somewhere at a beach. I'm I'm telling you, I right, wish. Oh. <laughs> I am coaching a tournament that weekend, so I will be in Williamsburg. Very patriotic. <laughs> <laughs> I know. It's the perfect town for it, right? <laughs> right. Very patriotic. Um, but on the 29th, we play Chattanooga Red Wolves, a team that we have not beaten in our last five attempts. The only win that came against them in our first match against them. Um, Chattanooga right now is undefeated, two wins, one draw. But I will say this, having watched Chattanooga, I've watched all three of their games for Walking 90. Um, I will have to say they, they've been kind of lucky. A lot of All three of those games could have been draws. I, definitely the Revs two games should have been a loss. I don't know how Revs gave up two goals. I do know how to give up two goals. They can't play defense much to live. No. Um, but outside of that, you know. Yeah, I don't feel like Chattanooga really should um, – definitely should have been there. Um, you know, Fort Lauderdale and North Texas, the other one. So, they all three of their games so far have been against two teams. They haven't played – we're their first independent team of this year that is playing. So, they'll play against a team of actual little adults and not kids. How are you guys feeling going into this game? Are you optimistic? Are you kind of just like even kill about it? Are you a little bit worried? Where are you guys at? And also, this game was not going to be at 4 p.m., so make sure that uh, you check what time this game is. Chattanooga has lights now. They finally paid the light bill. This game will be at 7 p.m. Chenier just, like, had a big awe face because he shocked. Oh, <laughs> they got some lights. Yeah, they finally paid the light bill. Oh, they finally paid it. All right. Well, I don't know. Uh, for me... I don't think it's like you said that they're of their three games. 
there hasn't really been much that has that has really made me think, oh boy, that's that's a threat that we really, really, really need to think about. I mean, as a whole, they, I mean, I think as usual, Red Wolves have always been just an all around decent squad that for some reason had our number ever since after the first game we've ever played against them. I do feel that this season things are going to be different, though. Uh, I do feel around the time when we were playing Chattanooga last year, there were injury issues. There was still personnel ambiguity issues. I think right now the team is so solidified that we will be able to put on a good performance against the Red Wolves. Um, I can see us maybe getting away was either a draw or a win, but I, I, I think it would be hard-pressed for us to get a loss in this one, and I would be very disappointed if we did. I mean, I, I want to be optimistic, but yeah, let's think back to last year, and not necessarily the Chattanooga games. Let's think back to how we started last year. That, this is, that was a team that found a way to win you know, a lot of games that they maybe shouldn't have a time that maybe should have been a draw, something it sounds a lot like, you know, Elliot, what you were just talking about with Chattanooga so far this year. You know, you know good teams find a way to get, you know, that result that they you know, maybe on face value don't deserve, but they get there. You know, and then three, three games is not a big sample size, admittedly, right? But it's start of a trend already. You know, and they have, and it's very different, you know, Chattanooga than the last few years. You know, Hurst is gone, Doyle's gone, Beattie's gone, you know, not, you know, the same usual suspect. You know, as before, but, uh, you know, they've got, uh, you know, Josue Espana, you know, who's got what three goals in the last two games, you know, so far you know, for them. You know, they got, you know, guys who can be able to, uh, you know, take care of business. They got, uh, Mensigan, you know, from, uh, you know, Lansing a couple of years ago. They have players. You know, they have guys who can be able to actually, you know, do the job, you know, and, uh, right around our, you know, outside that first game, you know, we've, maybe looked good at times, but the offensive production hasn't been great, you know, for the most part, you know, uh, after the first game, there's been what, three goals, you know, Neil's that let's be real. That should not have been a goal. You know, that keeper, you know, is at 999 out of a thousand times, you know, probably, uh, we had, you know, Emmy's first goal against Tormento, great goal, major credit there. And then the penalty, which, I mean, you earn penalties, but, Again, not creating a lot from the run of play, you know, in a, a way that you know, seems replicable so yeah. far. And then you factor in, you know, the way it's going to be on turf. Who knows how that's going to? Although I guess they did win their other game on turf this year, so maybe that maybe that actually works in our favor. Uh, so can we get a result? Absolutely, you know. But I don't think it's going to be something where it's a uh, walk in the park by any means. It's going to be a you know, hard fought game is going to be something where uh, you know, can't regress back to having those uh, you know, little mental mistakes that end up you know the ball in our net. Yeah, I think that's the biggest thing to avoid in this match. I think I think Chattanooga's crowd would definitely be up for it. Um, this is like an independent team coming in. But I think if we can avoid like the mental mistake, kind of play a solid game, not necessarily pay for a draw. Don't do that. Because you play for a draw, you're actually going to play. You're going you're gonna to lose. Um, but I think just more or less, you know, be safe in the back 
and an opportunity arises, find ways how to get Emmy into dangerous pockets, Neil into dangerous pockets. Um, because Neil's had success against Chattanooga about if hit memory, you know, kind of plays right. Um, he's had success against Chattanooga, finding dangerous pocket space, um, and whatnot. So I think Neil's gonna have a kind of a breakout game. I'm gonna be looking forward to this. Um, so anything else before from you guys before we wrap up today's show? Yeah, I got one question for you all. Uh, so it's about you know the substitutes. You know, so I couldn't help but notice that you know Darren used only two subs this last game, and he's left subs on the bench. You know, in the past as well. Do you think it's a matter of you know, just thinking that things are going well? Doesn't want to mix it up. Is it? Do you think there's you know like a personnel issue there? Because like, I'm thinking this last game. All right, we're we're probably chasing the goal at the end because. Again, if we're taking Darren at face value, what was one of the first things you know, he said when he came to the you know club? He's going to chase three points when he can, right? And he leaves, you know, Stanley Alves, you know, on the bench. He leaves, uh, you know, Cameron Vickers on the bench. He might have been able to help, you know, try to create something, you know, out of the midfield. Uh, I can't remember who else. You know, I left Luke Pavone, you know, on the bench, who, uh, you know, this year he's been playing right back, but we know he can, you know, be a pest up front. If necessary, I'm not, I'm not saying that all of those guys, you know, maybe should have been coming in or all of them, uh, you know, would have guaranteed, you know, a win. But, you know, I, I, I also just kind of wondering, okay, you know, what, what's going on, you know, there? What do you all think about, you know, the substitution patterns? Um, I'm not reading too much into it. I think when he brought in Olex, I really thought he was bringing him in from Mac. At the time, but when he left Matt on, um, and just substituted Olex in for Johnny, it was kind of like like for like sub, and then Neil for Hernan put a um, Hernan and something to drop it in me back. Outside of that, I don't think there was a need to use all your substitutions. I think it, the subs rule is up to five this year, right? In USL, it's yeah, five, it's the five, but you still have the three windows. Three windows, yeah. Um, so I don't think there was a reason to go, you know, sub crazy. It wasn't as if we were chasing a goal or it wasn't as if we were creating chances or there wasn't a spark. You know, the team was still producing, still getting up there. Granted, the ball was going to the back of the net. I, you know, um, I think Alice and Hernan are like for like almost. So it's kind of like, well, which one are you going to put in there? Luke, I think more or less now, I think Luke is a defensive sub. And unless we're going to three in the back, I don't think there's a reason to put Luke in the end of the game unless you're you're going to put him at wing back, um, just for defensive stabilities because he's not a great one-on-one defender. Um, and I'm trying to remember who else was on the bench. Uh, Vickers. Uh, Vickers is the one that I'm not quite certain of yet because we haven't seen a lot of him. Like he's kind of came in and like mop up to it. Like he came in the last two minutes of. Ref two game. We, we've probably seen all of three minutes of them this year. Yeah, not so, a big enough sample size. Yeah, it's not enough for me to say what can he really do out of just seeing what he's done so far. He kind of reminds me of Matt Baldock. But at that same point, if it's the last three minutes of the game, and you know how the kind of player Matt is, are you really taking Matt out of the game to put Vickers in? And he hasn't really played a whole bunch. I don't think so. So I don't. I don't think substitutions or subs were, you know, a big turning point in this game. The one, the one that I'm, I'm a little confused about 
I mean, I, I do agree with um, Hernan coming on over Stanley Alves because for some reason, so far this season, when Stanley Alves has been on the field, he's been playing in a midfield role, which is something that I was not expecting this season. Um, where we we knew that the Stanley Alves is a number nine, and he came, he was signed to the Richmond Kickers as a number nine. He he that that was his identity. We saw him preseason before COVID hit. We saw him playing as a nine, doing fairly well in the preseason as a number nine. So it, it's a bit. I don't know if it would have been a good idea to put him on, especially since all of a sudden he's playing a new position this year, which I, I personally don't know if it's a really good fit for him. Um, as as Elliot alluded to, Vickers, I feel, would be a like for like with Matt. Um, Luke Pavone, I think, is the outlier, but it's the same situation as Stanley Alves. He's being played in a completely different position this year than he was last year. And when you're desperate to try and maybe salvage two points, do you put on someone who has literally spent an entire preseason trying to basically he has been unmade and he's being made into something else. It's not the time to try and revert him back. If you understand what I mean by that. So um, it, it, I think the substitutions, it, it was tricky. I personally think if you're trying to chase the game and trying to go after that goal and to get that goal to guard, to, to secure three points rather than going away with one, you if you're going to put Olex on, you leave Bolaños on. I, I personally think if you're going to go guns blazing, you need both of those guys on the pitch. Yeah, I was just you know, curious because uh... – most coaches I know, you know, like to play the cards, you know, available to them and, you know, leaving some in your hand. It's just a different tactic. Yeah. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with it. But we will see how Darren does. Also, I did find out. I found out from uh, our main, our man, Ian, which, by the way, wisdom the best in recovery. Uh, Darren listens to the podcast. So, yeah. Yeah, we knew that when he moved Emmy back up front, right? Yeah. <laughs> You're like, oh, he listens. He, he hears us. He hears us. Um, but, yeah, man, before we wrap up, um, in the link down below, there is a link to a Google survey. Um, the Red Army, the supporters of the Richard Kickers, is having a town hall meeting with the front office. So make sure you fill out that form. Trust me, it's like two questions. It's not super duper hard. Um, that event will be live streamed. We're just trying to figure out the time. And so if you're interested in that, make sure you fill out that form. Um, but besides that, guys, anything else from y'all before we uh, wrap up today's show? Uh, shout out to William Yambi and Braden Troyer for showing up and especially for, to William Yambi for getting right in the mix with us, with the Red Army and actually leading a chant. Oh, my God. <laughs> I want to say, yo, I died laughing for like five minutes when I heard Yambi. Oh man, do the chant, yo, because it was full accent, like full blown accent, <laughs> and that's all I heard. I just died laughing. He, he may or may not have been, had to be fed the lines too, which was oh, yeah. hilarious. Oh. To watch. Oh yeah, yeah, 
Multiple people had to tell him the lies. Multiple people. Multiple. Also, shout out to Braden Troyer because he's about to be a new dad, I think, in June, June or July. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, congrats to him, man. Congrats to him. Um, yeah, man. Whew. All right, let's go and wrap up the show. All right, y'all. Uh, once again, listeners, thank you guys so much for listening to us. As always, we can't do the show without your support. So always remember to like, share, subscribe. You can listen to the show on any podcast player. That's Google, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen to your podcast at. As always, this is Elliot, my co-host, Madison Air. We'll holler at you guys later. Be easy. We'll check you guys later on the good side.